I was in Costco in Billings, Montana, and I saw my friend Scott Bradford, which kind of freaked me out because the last thing I knew, Scott was doing ministry in rural southeast Kansas. And I did that thing you do when you see someone in a store and you're not sure if it's really them or not. I was kind of a creeper. Like I walked down one aisle, I think that's him. And so I walked down the opposite aisle and peered between the five-gallon buckets of mayonnaise. And I think that's Scott. And I walked around, sure enough, it was him. I'm like, Scott, what are you doing here? He said, well, we recently moved to Helena, Montana, about five hours away. And they measure distance in hours up there, not miles. And... Like, we're down here for a ball game. And like, oh, wow, that's so awesome. And we'd been friends for a while, worked together in ministry, kind of did church camp stuff together. And he said, hey, you guys, you, you and Deb and the kids want to come to the game. We weren't doing anything tonight. Yeah, sure, so let's go. So we went, and we went to this game, and, and it was great. Had a chance. We later found out that another family in the church that we'd planted was playing on the other team. So it was weird. Uh, <laughs> we, kinda, we just went back and forth from side to side, you know, we're rooting for everybody, you know, go sports. Anyway, um, so uh, we're there and afterwards we're hanging outside and the, the kids are playing on the playground there near the, the uh, basketball, um, you know, gym and uh, it's is getting dark and therefore it's getting cold and so we're like, okay kids, come on, we gotta go and Scott's kid was pushing Emma who was about three and a half or four at the time and, and he pushed her, and we're like, we got to go. And he reached out to stop her, and, and he meant to just grab the chains of the swing. We got one, not the other. And he got it on the forward swing. So what happened is this innocuous plaything turned into a catapult of pain for my daughter. It, it flipped her out backwards. She backflipped and landed hard on her left shoulder blade immediately started screaming in pain, just crying. I have never run so fast in my life. You know, you see this, it happens in slow motion. As a parent, it's far away, like, no, <laughs> you're running, you know. And I bolted over there, about punted this kid halfway to Saturn, you know, get out of the way. And I'm, here's my little girl, and she's crying. I'm like, it's okay, it's all right, you know. I'm trying to calm her down and comfort her because I didn't want my friend who's there to think that I was raising wimpy kids in Montana. You know, I'm worried about, what my buddy thinks. I'm like, it's okay. You're going to be all right. She's crying. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. But you're going to be okay. Let's go get in the car. We got to go. And so we get in the car and, you know, we're, we're buckling them into that 98 point NASCAR harness that they wear these days. And we're getting, we're getting her all buckled in there. And she's screaming like, oh, it hurts so bad, daddy. It hurts. It hurts. Like, you're fine. You're she's just, I'm by this point, I'm ticked. I'm thinking she's milking it, you know, for, for sympathy points or something. And I know how to fix that chocolate ice cream. So we stopped at Dairy Queen on the way home. She's crying. I'm trying to, here, I'm like force feeding this kid chocolate ice cream. She doesn't want it. No. So we get home, we get inside, and I'm just more, the longer this goes on, the more of a jerk I'm becoming. We get inside, I'm like, fine, tell me where it hurts. And she points right here. And like a big dumb oaf, I reach in with my thumb and feel it, and, and where it, I'm supposed to feel a collarbone, it's just rubber, man. She'd broken her collarbone. And for an hour, I was like the worst dad in the world. Hashtag parenting fail. Right? I'm so thankful Facebook and Twitter did not exist back then. <laughs> 
That would have been bad. I, I want to thank you for being here today. If you're new here at Chapel Rock, uh, thank you so much for coming. I'd love to meet you when we're done. I'll be right down front here. Please come down and say hi. If you're joining us online, thanks for logging in from wherever you are. If you're local, we'd love to have you visit us on site. And if you would, take a second and fill out the online connection card. And if there's more than one person there, please let us know how many are watching with you. Um, we're in a sermon series today about halfway through called Hashtag Parenting Fail where we're looking at some of the biggest parenting mistakes that we can find in the Bible and how that can teach us to be better parents. If you've got your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 46. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 through 50. That's our text today. Throughout this series, we're using the hashtag language of Twitter and Instagram and Facebook uh, to have some fun with this. Thankfully, those things weren't around when I made... uh, some of my parenting mistakes, I'm sure there'll be more, uh, but certainly the early ones, you know, the, when I was still trying to figure out something about this. Uh, but there are plenty of examples out there. I found a few more I want to show you this week. I can't help, but um, I don't believe that this is the approved way to do that. Uh, so there's that one. Here's another one. Um, I'm, we're going to call what's in dad's glass iced tea. I don't know, but he's got a string and he's pulling the kid, just chilling out in the shade, you know. Okay, if your first thought is, let's get a picture of the camel eating my kid's head before removing said head from said camel, you've got parenting fail issues. Here's another one. I got bored, so I drew eyebrows on my daughter. I have no regrets. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> Let me show you another one. Okay. So for those that don't know, this is one of the orcs from the Lord of the Rings. I love the Lord of the Rings. I'm a big fan, all right? I would never in a million years do this to my kids. They know that I'm into this. They know he's not real. But what kind of moron gives their kid to an enemy of the dark? What in the world is just this? Now, here's the thing. Friday is International Hobbit Day. All right, it's September 22nd. It's the birthday of a couple characters in the books. I'm geeked out because we get to eat six meals and start reading my annual reread of Lord of the Rings. But I still would never do that. It's crazy. Now, those are just some of the parenting fails uh, that are examples of parents who have wrong priorities. Every parent has done this. Every one of us who's a parent has done this at some point. We're all guilty of getting our priorities out of whack when it comes to raising our kids. And some are worse than others, but nobody's exempt. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, was guilty of doing this at least once. Now let me pause right here and say, I recognize that a few of you maybe grew up believing or being taught that Mary was sinless. That belief grew out of a somewhat uh, mechanical and genetic view of sin that sin is passed on genetically, and that the the belief was, well, if Jesus is going to be sinless, and he is, then Mary would have had to have been sinless, or otherwise he would have inherited it from her. That viewpoint, now you need to know, is never expressed in Scripture, anywhere. And it did not even appear in church history until about 350 years after Jesus' life on earth. There was a monk named Epiphanius who taught that Mary was sinless. That doctrine was picked up on t- by two men uh, who were, were just towering figures in church history. The first is Augustine, who articulated the doctrine of original sin. And the second was Jerome, who translated the Bible from its Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic roots into Latin. And the, Jerome's Latin Vulgate became the standard Bible translation in the West, I'm not making this up, for a thousand years. 
until John Wycliffe came along. You need to understand that there's this, this, there was this long-standing belief that Mary was sinless. From that, it worked its way into standard Catholic orthodoxy, but in the biblical text, in the Gospels, I think we've got pretty conclusive belief that, that this, uh, pretty conclusive proof, rather, that this belief, while full of good intentions, just doesn't hold up when you look at Scripture. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, had a whopping big parenting fail. It's a failure of priorities because she put the priorities of her family unity and harmony over that of the will and purpose of God. She put her concern for her son's well-being over her concern for God's will. Now, before we read our text, you need to get a little background. There's, there's a verse in Mark, chapter 3, that's crucial that you read before we get into our text in Matthew. Matthew doesn't give us this detail, but you need to understand it. Look at this. This is Mark 3.20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. In other words, Jesus is on blast mode in ministry. He's not, he's go, 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 go all the time. He's not stopping. He doesn't even get a chance to eat. He's just teaching, healing, doing miracles, constantly around people, just desperate for maybe a chance to rest. He tells his disciples, hey guys, let's go over to the other shore of the lake. And they try, and the crowd runs around the shore and beats them there. And they're like, oh my goodness. That's what's going on in Jesus' ministry. And his family thinks, this guy's out of his mind. He's, he's losing it. We got to do something about this. So we come to our text in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 46. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd in the house, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, the one who told him that, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, before we go any further into this message, there's one technical thing you need to know about this passage, all right? Three out of the four times that the phrase mentions the idea of mother and brothers, it begins with the Greek word idu, which means behold or look. Three out of four times, 75% of the time, when Jesus uses the phrase mother or brothers, the text begins with the word, look, pay attention to this. Hey, heads up. The point is, it's supposed to draw your attention because Jesus is using this opportunity to redefine what family looks like in the kingdom of God. He's redefining the idea of family. That's the big idea of this morning. That's what we get out of this, that Jesus centers his family around the priorities of missional discipleship. Jesus centers his family around the priorities of missional discipleship. Now, I want to make sure you understand what I mean by that phrase. Missional discipleship means that your life is focused on imitating Jesus so much that it becomes an extension of his mission to redeem the lost and make disciples and bring in the kingdom of God. That's what missional discipleship is. And if you will reorient the priorities of your life around missional discipleship, you can prevent, and I would argue even reverse, some pretty big parenting fails. As far as Jesus is concerned, his family are those who orient their lives around his priorities. 
So what are the priorities of missional discipleship? Well, I spent some time in the New Testament looking at the words for family, mother, father, brother, sister. And I found three themes that kept coming up. It's my conviction that they form the three most important priorities of a Christian home because they will lead our kids and grandkids and nieces and nephews toward missional discipleship. I believe if you'll make these three things the biggest priorities of your home, you can avoid and maybe even reverse some pretty major parenting fails. Ready? Here's the first one. Number one, doing the will of God. Doing the will of God. In this passage, the first thing we see is that Jesus defines his family as those who do the will of God. Now, this is not the first time that Jesus said something like this. Earlier in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus also defined those as who, are, who do the will of God as his true followers. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. <laughs> in other words, Jesus is saying there are people out there who think they're saved, but they don't follow that discipleship up with obedience, and they're not in the, same, they're not in the position that they think they are. Now, Jesus, please understand, is not saying that family doesn't matter. Far from it. He's expressing a purer, higher form of what it means to be a family. The eminent New Testament scholar Craig Keener writes this. Thinking of one's co-religionists as brothers and sisters was common. Respecting older persons as mothers or fathers was also widespread. But allowing ties in the religious community to take precedence over family ties was unheard of. In Judaism. See, what Jesus is doing here is redefining the notion of family based not around blood relation or even a legal relation, you know, marrying into it, but around the hearts or, or the heart's affections, even just feeling like someone's family, you know, but around life's biggest priorities, the priorities of missional discipleship. Again, quoting from Keener, he, meaning Jesus, is not rejecting his earthly family altogether but stating his priorities, emphasis mine, because they, his family, want to declare him mentally incompetent to rescue him from the dangers he is sure to face from the religious authorities if he continues on his present path. Jesus is saying that doing the will of God matters more than blood relation. Do you realize that many of your brothers and sisters in Christ have been declared dead by their family when they chose to follow the Lord? I was saddened yesterday to hear of the passing of Nabil Qureshi. Do you know who he is? Have you heard that name? Some of you would have heard of Ravi Zacharias. Nabil was one of the men who preached and taught along with Ravi on his team. Nabil accepted Christ as his savior as a college freshman. He was raised in a devout Pakistani Muslim family. And when he accepted Jesus, he had the difficult task of having to tell his folks what he'd done. He writes this, When my parents did find out, it was probably the most painful day of my life. When I became a Christian, it was the most painful thing I ever did. I wanted to die, he said. I asked God to kill me because I lost my family. I lost my friends in the mosque. I lost all the people who loved me the moment I became a Christian. He entered into his master's happiness yesterday. He received his reward. He said, to have Christ in my life makes every loss worth it. See, that really leads us to the second priority of missional discipleship, and it's to die to yourself. It means dying to yourself. 
We don't see it as much in this passage, but just two chapters earlier, Matthew's gospel makes it pretty clear that Jesus expects those who follow him to die to themselves, even if it tears a rift in their family. Look at Matthew 10, 37 through 39. Jesus says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. For whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. See, in the Roman world, the second you touched a cross, you're going to die. If you, if you touch a cross, if you carry a cross, if you pick it up, you're dead. You're dead. It was a death sentence. And his disciples would have understood that. They would have known that he was talking about dying to themselves. That the old person that they were dies. Carrying the cross is a death sentence to the old spiritually dead you. And my friends, that is the best thing you can do for your kids. It's the best thing you can do for your grandkids and your nieces and nephews and even just the friends that you have. Parents, one of the best ways that you can reverse an earlier parenting fail is to die to yourself. Because when your kids see you do this, when they see you begin to die to yourself and serve your spouse and them with selfless love, it then gives you the moral authority to implement Christian change in your house. You need to know, if you haven't figured this out yet, let me let this be a light bulb moment for you. Kids, no matter how old they are, have hypocrisy radar. You know what I mean? They see it. They know instantly. They can smell it like from a mile away. Like when you tell them one thing and you live a different way, they know you're not fooling anyone. And so the way we get past that is to die to ourselves. For example, if you've not been careful in choosing what entertainment is allowed in your home and you find out that your kids are watching stuff that you'd rather them not watch, Maybe it's time for you to lead by example and turn off your show that you watch after they go to bed. You've got to die to yourself. When selflessness that's modeled after Jesus' own becomes a priority in your home, then like you see in Matthew 10, we find real life. And that life gives us the ability to do the third thing, to change the priorities in your home, and it's to partner in redemption. The, the second, the, rather, the third priority of missional discipleship is partnering in redemption. And this will avoid some pretty major parenting fails and raise kids that love Jesus even more than we do. Guys, I don't know about you, my number one goal as a dad is for my kids to love Jesus more than I love Jesus. That's it. I, that, I don't care what they do for a living. I don't care where they go to college or if they go to college. The only thing I care about regarding their mate is that they marry someone who loves Jesus more than they love Jesus. That's it. I, I, I don't, so much of that stuff, it really doesn't matter. But what I deeply care about and what matters so much to me is that my kids ultimately love Jesus even more than I do. Because I don't know about you, but I want to see my kids in heaven and my grandkids, and my great-grandkids, and my great-great-grandkids, do you know how many people that will be? <laughs> I ran out of fingers. It's a lot. Listen, if your priority is to help your kids understand 
that we are all partners in God's plan to redeem the world through Jesus' death and resurrection? If your kids get that, if they understand that that's a priority for them, that that matters in their life, that they participate in Jesus' mission to redeem the lost and make disciples and bring in the kingdom of God, that'll change the way they live. That'll radically reorient the priorities of their lives. And Jesus did this even in his own family. And I think this is such a cool thing to see Mary's earlier parenting fail get redeemed. Look at this in, in John 19, 26 through 27. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And it says that when Jesus saw his mother there, Mary, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, that's John, who wrote the Gospel of John, Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, he said to her, woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here's your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Here, when her son is on the cross, dying for her sin, yes, I said it, I think Mary finally got it. Here on the cross, her parenting fail is rectified and corrected. That Jesus sees his disciple John and his mother, who's also a disciple of his, standing there, and he does his duty as a firstborn son. He takes care of his mom as he's dying. But that duty is transformed by John and Mary's discipleship to Jesus, and it's at the foot of his cross that they both realize that it is his shed blood that unites them as a family, that they have become partners in redemption. Dylan McQueen was four years old. He'd been riding his bike on the sidewalk out in front of their house, and then all of a sudden... He wasn't out in front of their house. And nobody knew where he'd gone. It got to be 45 minutes, hour went by. Nobody knows where little Dylan is, four years old. For those who need a reference, my, my little guy Evan is five, so littler than Evan. Nobody knows where Dylan is, and so they called the cops, and they're looking, and they found him not quite a mile away. He, he laid his bike down in the yard and started walking toward their church. He, they had a program that the family was going to that night, and he just didn't want to be late. So he left about two hours early and started walking. He'd crossed two major streets, four years old, on his own, because he wanted to get there on time. So parents, you know that feeling, right? When, if you've ever temporarily mislaid a kid, <laughs> you know, when they hide in the clothing rack at JCPenney's, you know, and you terrify you, guilty, right? And you're just like, oh, thank goodness we found you. Come here so I can kill you. You know, it's, they found him. The police officer, Ron Wiza, said that the boy was just working his way to church for a program. He wanted to make sure he didn't miss it. They're not going to file any charges. So they got him home safe and sound, and the whole family piled in the minivan, and they got there just in time for church. See, Jesus transforms our notion of family when he says that what matters most is partnering with him in redemption. We are brought together as a new kind of family when we share our faith and when those we know and love actively go out and make more disciples.
if my kids are like their dad. I, I stand to have a fair number of offspring from the Scott line. But it is of far greater importance to me that people that my family has shared their faith with come to, come to Jesus. <laughs> that matters way more than how many grandkids I have. That's way more important because that's what Jesus focuses his family on. That's his priority. Parents, listen to me. If the number one priority for your kids is that they become more like Jesus than you are, then they have to see you living and sharing your faith. Let them catch you having your devotions. Let them overhear you singing along with worship songs in the car. See, one of the biggest priorities of missional discipleship is getting others to participate in that mission and become disciples of Jesus themselves. Now, let me tell you why this is important. Recently, I asked my friends on Facebook to share about a time that their parents had their priorities messed up, and it led to a parenting fail. And most of what was shared was in private messages. (laughs) I don't blame them. A common theme from at least four people was a story that had to do with a parent selfishly choosing an addiction to drugs or alcohol or some other activity over their relationship with their kids, in some cases, even the health and well-being of their children. Others told stories of good intentions gone awry or being so tied up in work that they missed major life events or out-of-control tempers doing permanent relational damage. And it's easy to hear those stories and go, whew, yeah, that's a pretty whopping parenting fail. Man, they really messed up there, didn't they? Whew. And they are. But what I'm trying to help you understand today is this. That because Jesus centers his family around the priorities of missional discipleship, it's not just epic parenting fails that can derail our kids and grandkids from becoming more like Jesus. You can desire things that are good and right for your kids and still mess this up. You can prioritize things like hard work and scholarship and excellence and good sportsmanship and responsibility and friendship, but Jesus teaches his own family and by extension us that the number one priority in a Christian home should be missional discipleship. And that means doing the will of God and dying to ourselves and participating in his redemptive mission. In his death on the cross, Jesus brings all three of these things together, doesn't he? He's doing the will of God in dying on the cross in our place for our sins. (laughs) If you've never heard that before, you need to know that God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son to die in your place. He's doing the will of God He's dying to himself in every sense of the word. And he is the very focus of the redemptive mission of God. God is out to get back what rightfully belongs to him. And my friends, that's you. So my question is, what are you going to do about that today? Maybe your response needs to be about your priorities. Maybe Jesus has not been the number one priority in your life. Maybe you're here this morning and Jesus has not been the most important thing to you. You've let work or, or a, an addiction or a relationship get in the way and he is calling to you today to yield your life to him. 
In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing together. And if you've never given Jesus your life, if he's not the number one priority in your life, then I would invite you to come to the front today and confess him as Savior and Lord, be baptized, receive the Spirit of God, and live this new life that he gives you in Christ. Maybe you're here today and you know that you need to reorder your priorities, but you're not exactly sure what that looks like. You don't even know. It's like, I know something needs to happen. I'm not sure where to start. And you need someone to function as kind of a filter for your experience. In that case, as we sing, you go to the room underneath the yellow awning, our next step room. We'll have leaders in there that are ready and equipped to have that conversation with you. Maybe there's another need. It might not have anything to do with what we're talking about today, but maybe God is working in your heart and you just need someone to pray with you and pray for you. We'll have our decision counselors down front and you can come to, to, to receive prayer and have someone pray with you and for you as, uh, as we sing together today. Would you stand with me and respond as God leads you? Your love is devoted Like a ring of solid gold Like a vow that is tested Like a covenant of old Your love is enduring Through the winter rain And beyond the horizon With mercy for today Faithful you have been Faithful you will be, you pledge yourself to me, and it's why I sing your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Father the orphan, your kindness makes us whole, and you shoulder our weakness, and your strength becomes our own, now you're making me like you, clothing me in white, bringing beauty from ashes, for you will have your bride, free of all her guilt. Of all her shame and known by her true name, and it's why I sing your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will Ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Let's pray together this morning. God, we have some who come today. We ask you to intervene in their hearts and in their hurts. We ask for peace and comfort, Jesus. We ask for grace in a time of grief. God, I know that there are parents and grandparents here today that they may be thinking back on mistakes they've made. And I would ask you to intervene in that. You specialize, God, in taking broken things and making them whole. 
And so I pray, Jesus, that you would do that. I confess that I blew it with one of my kids again yesterday. Please forgive me, Jesus. Help me be a better dad. Help each of us here, God, reorder the priorities of our life around what it means to follow you. And let us do that with all grace and fervor in the name of Jesus. It's in his name, God's church prays, and we all said, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. Oh, I love to hear the song of creation.